Okay. Ready? We'll do. A, let's do one, two, three, four, five, and then clap on six. Okay. But do. But you got to do the ands. One and two and three and four. That. Yes. And then we'll clap five and and clap on six. Yep. Okay. Here we go. Ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Together, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Nope. Here we go. Okay. One and two and three and four and five and. Oh, I forgot to clap. God damn it, really? Hey, everybody, welcome to I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. With me, Bob Schneider, and your other host, Clint Wells. You're welcome. Welcome to I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Clint Wells. Uh, I'm Bob Schneider, but they just heard that. Oh, really? that's the intro. Oh, shit. And I just said it. It's fine. They can hear it twice. Christ. All right. Well, we're getting off to a good start here. How you doing? It's been a minute. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Getting ready for Christmas. Wait, is it Christmas? I don't know. I don't know when this podcast was made. How? It's how? What, what are you doing for Christmas? We, the big present is we got uh, my four-year-old her first bike. That's a big moment in a child's development. So we're excited about that. Now, with what or I'll, without training wheels? Oh, with training wheels, dude. Jesus, she's not oh, a okay. fucking... She's not, a she's, fuck, not a, she's not joining the circus East. next week. <laughs> she's her name. Her last name's not Romakoff. <laughs> no, I don't know what that reference is. Her last name. Her last. Her last name's not Romacoff. Knievel. When, when you've got a cough, you can't get rid of. Try Romakoff. <laughs> Newbrin, little yellow, different. Newbrin. Now let me ask you this, because this is kind of a controversial issue in the Wells uh-huh. household. Yeah, uh, we don't do Santa Claus. I straight up tell what? my kid. I tell Ooh. my kid, Santa Claus Grinch, is not the Grinch who stole Christmas. I tell her Santa Claus isn't real, baby. It's a story. It's just a fun story. Man, that's pretty rough. And what is she, how does she feel about it? Well, we've never really told her that he was real, so it's a okay. And we we told her like, look, be cool at school. You know, some people believe that this story's real. We don't want to be rude to our friends, but. I don't want Santa Claus getting credit for what the shit I'm giving my kid. Oh, my God. Santa Claus is so wonderful to me. He got me a bicycle. No, he didn't. No, he (laughs) fucking didn't. Dude, this definitely falls in the I'm not okay, you're not okay column. Yeah, things are going pretty good over here. Pretty chill. (laughs) Oh, my God. Dude, what about the magic of Christmas? There is. It's not real. Fuck that. I know, but there's kids' imaginations, and there's like, yes, I understand it not being real, but you know, like, what about like fairies and? No, and I tell her none of that shit's and... real. I tell her zombies aren't real, vampires aren't real, monsters and ghosts not real, Jesus not real. I tell her, what am I? I'm well, not going to lie to my kid, dude. And she, I know, she, but are, here, but here then, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Do you want Scarlet, your beautiful daughter? Who we, who my wife and I and my kid, we adore her. Do you want Scarlet to be the last kid in her class to learn that Santa Claus isn't real? Yeah, no. Kind of. Well, here here's what I here's what I did. I so I have a 13 year old uh, boy, Luke. What I decided to do with him, and what I've done with Scarlet, is made a decision to not lie to them the way my parents did, which is they would like fabricate these crazy stories about like, Oh, I, I heard some shit on the roof yeah, last yeah, night. Yeah, right. And, and uh, I think it was Santa Claus's sled and I heard some jingling and, and uh, like just going, th- uh, going through all that 
And so what we do is we, you know, we, we have presents under the tree. They're from Santa. And, uh, and it's exciting and it's fun. And it's fun to like imagine that there's this guy who does it and, and he flies but through the air. But they're not imagining it. They think it's real. It's not – like here's the deal. My kid no, loves – if, if a kid loves Harry uh, Potter, for example, if Luke loved Harry Potter when he was eight, right. does he need to believe – that there's a real Hogwarts where witches and wizards are d- learning p- about potions to enjoy the thrill of the magic of the storytelling. Like, it's not essential to the magic to actually believe that Santa Claus is going to take his fat ass into your house and eat your fucking carrot, give carrots to, his, to fucking Rudolph. Yeah, I'm, I believe me, as an adult... I buy what you're saying and I get what you're saying and it makes sense. But there is something magical that kids have where they have this crazy idea of like all this stuff that's not real being kind of real. But they only have that because we tell them it's real. They don't come born with software of Santa Claus that we as grinchy, monstrous, horrible ground down adults shake out of them. They believe it's real because we, the people that they depend on for everything they have to become, a, every tool they have to become a human being, we give them. And we're telling them it's real. And then we're going, then they, if they're finding out it's not real, and they're probably thinking somewhere subconsciously, if Papa Bear is willing to lie to me about Santa Claus, what else is he willing to lie to me about? And I don't right. want my kid to think that. No, I and I feel the same way because I felt... Like I, I felt really betrayed when I found out Santa wasn't real. I was like, "How old oh, were you?" What? I mean, I was like, I think I was thirty at the time, <laughs> and uh, no, I, w- I don't know how old I was. You know, seven or eight, whatever, whatever time it is that you, you figure it out. But um, well, I don't. Yeah, mean I was, sound- I was really, bu- I was really bummed yeah. out about it, and then. And then that carried over to like my religious upbringing and I'm like, oh, I feel like they lied to me about this too. And like, what else? You're right. What else have I been lied to about? And and why are people so nonchalant about making up lies and feeding them to kids? So I get it. And and part of me is like, well, I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to try my best to to say the truth. And, And the truth, so when my son asked me about Santa or... Or my daughter asked me about Santa. Uh, is Santa real? I go. I, I don't know. W- what do you think? And uh, and you know. And they're like, Yeah, I think. It, you know. I'm like, I've seen pictures of Santa. And it's the same. Like when they asked me, like about Jesus. I go, Is Jesus real? I'm like, Well, I don't know. Are there pictures of Jesus? There's pictures. There's stuff. So, I. But then I will say this: When my son was about eight, he came up to me and he goes, Hey, Dad, those presents under the tree last year that were all from Santa. Did you buy those presents? And I said, yeah, I bought, I bought those presents. And that was the end of the discussion. He didn't ask me anything else. Hmm. And then it was his business as usual because he wanted those Santa presents <laughs> right. to keep showing up. Well, I don't want to come off as judgmental. Whatever you decide to do with, and I'm talking about the universal you, not you, Bob, but whatever anyone out there, however they decide to navigate that with their kids, I don't judge that. I, my, what I'm, descri- I'm, I'm describing my method. I'm not prescribing a fucking lifestyle for you and i'm not calling you all monsters for lying to your kid even though you are lying to your kid but she may grow up and come to me and say you know what i really feel like you robbed me of eight to ten years of imagination and magic and i really wish you to just let me have that and i'll have to account for that and deal with that and i'll have to apologize and hopefully she'll forgive me but i think what's more likely to happen is she's going to say i appreciate 
I think we're going to have a trust there. She's not going to feel betrayed the way you felt betrayed. I don't want my kid to feel betrayed by me. Here's what she's not going to say with you, which most kids, that most girls that live in Alabama have to say to their father at one point. I don't live is, in Alabama. I know, but you're from Alabama. <laughs> she's and, not, uh, though. So, I know, but you grew up there, and most kids who grew up in Alabama, most girls and boys, I will say, that grew up in Alabama, at some point or other will have to utter the phrase, get off me, Dad, you're crushing my smokes. And she won't ever have to say that about you. <laughs> that's my that's my Alabama pedophile joke. Wow. <laughs> it's It's from a guy from Alabama. <laughs> Who, Adam? Adam Temple. You ought to tell the you tell tell our beautiful listeners out there a little bit about our friend Adam Temple. So Adam Temple is this guy that I met years ago. I guess this would go under rock and roll stories or whatever. Uh, no, I, uh, it's going under "I'm not okay, you're not okay." Is what it's going <laughs> this under. De- this is definitely in the "I'm not okay, you're not okay" category. So years and years ago, I guess it was uh, God. It was probably 25 years ago, maybe more. I was uh, I. Met a young lady at a club, ended up at her house, woke up the next day uh, in her house that she shared with a couple other young ladies. And um, I got up, went out into the kitchen and was just saying my hellos, good mornings and getting ready to get the fuck out of there. And um, I look out in the front uh, front yard and there's a guy doing wheelies on like a little... (laughs) kid's bike uh, through the front yard. I'm like, who's that guy? And they're like, oh, that's my roommate's uh, boyfriend, Adam. And uh, I was like, okay, well, he looks insane and kind of crazy. Like, he didn't have a shirt on. How long ago was this? This is like 25 years ago. Okay, gotcha. Maybe maybe somewhere in there. And uh, so I, uh, he came in the house and I met him and we became instant, instant best friends. And I didn't have a job at that moment. And he's never had a job as long as I've known him. And at the time that I met him, he was homeless. He was just staying with his girlfriend, but he had been homeless for a while and would continue to be homeless until around 95, which is probably two or three years later. Can can I ask a quick question here in this part of the story? Mm -hmm. How How do the homeless get girlfriends? I mean, how did a homeless guy meet a nice lady who wanted to have sex with him? Well, he was really, really funny and really charming okay. and a really, really sweet guy at that time. Okay, and uh, and so and and he could charm you, and he and he charmed me, and we ended up becoming fast friends. And we would spend most days sitting out on my front porch drinking uh, cases of beer, occasionally smoking some uh, wacky tobacco, uh, and cartons of cigarettes and just make each other laugh. And we eventually ended up starting a band called the scabs, which became a pretty big band in Austin, um, which I, uh, in the late nineties. But, uh, we basically started that band because he was homeless, had no work. Oh, not only was he homeless, he didn't have a job and has never had a job. And so I was like, well, let's start a band so that you can make some money. I was already in a band at the time called the ugly Americans. We were signed and uh, we were, uh, you know, playing a lot and making money. And I was like, let's start a, a side project. And we called it The Scabs. 
Um, was it so always meant to be like a kind of a local party band, or did you have aspirations for the Scavs to do what the Ugly Americans were doing? No, the only reason that we started the band was so that he could have some money. But like, like at local he, gigs. Well, I mean, how was he uh, going to get money? Like playing playing local shows at Antones and. Yeah, yeah, we were just going to start this band and then do a residency somewhere. So we'd play once a week, and uh, it would give him some income. And I, I was really good at that. Uh, I'd been doing that for years with some other bands, uh, both Ugly Americans and a band before that called Joe Rockhead, that I'd I'd done that same model with where I played uh, every week for a couple years. And uh, you just grow your fan base pretty quickly, and you end up making some pretty good money that way. Um, enough to, like, you know, rent an apartment at, at least in Austin at that time where it was pretty cheap to live here. And, uh, and I think at that point in time, he had uh, somehow worked his way onto my couch. He he was no longer dating that girl. This is a couple years after I met him. And now he was living on my couch. And once he had kind of moved into your house, you couldn't kick him out. Cause where were you going to do kick him out in the street? And I mean, he was my best buddy at the time. Right. So, so I was like, I got to get this guy some money so he can rent an apartment, and get the fuck out of my house. And that was really the only reason we did it. But then it became really popular. He ended up moving into an apartment. Actually, I ended up moving out of my house kind of to get away from him because <laughs> I got I got sober in 95. So when I stopped drinking, I was like, I got to get the fuck away from everybody because I can't hang in this party house that I was living in. So I got out and then he eventually moved into a a little tiny apartment. But we were making enough money to where like you'd go over to his house and there'd be, and we were, it was all cash at the time. So he'd just have like thousands of dollars in cash bills just laying around the house in these, he, he was like a hoarder. So, so the whole house was filled with trash and clothes and weird and just stuff that he had collected, but it was all junk. There was nothing of value. And it was like you couldn't walk through. He had, he had created like little uh, path, like, pathways that were like three or four inches wide that would go from the front door to the bathroom and then into the kitchen. But everything else was piled high with crap and there were rats and and cigarette butts and food and, and thousands of empty cans of beer and just piles, like literally piles of cash, but crumpled up, not like nothing neat. It was so weird. Wow. Anyways, I don't know what the story was. What was Well, we're just kind of introducing our listeners to Adam. So, all these so years later, Adam. you guys are still that's friends. Adam. I've I've met him several times. He's quite a character. He's super funny, but he's from Alabama. He's kind of from not far from where I'm from, you know. So right, he's from right, he's from Alabama, and and he was, and I know a bunch of people from Alabama, and the and the the thing that I've noticed about people from Alabama that seems to be consistent is all of the people I know from Alabama have a great sense of humor. Uh, I don't know why that is, uh, but that's the thing they all have. They're either funny or they like to laugh. Well, I'm not going to c- claim that Alabama is unique in this regard, but I can tell you with authority because I've lived my whole life there, Alabama is fucked up. So if yeah. you make it through, uh, you come through with a sense of humor for sure. Oh, I know for a fact. Like everybody, <clears throat> yeah. The people that have got I only know the people that have left Alabama. Right. So they're all pretty smart. They're not but they're from Alabama. Like the Alabama is in them. The Alabama's in you. <laughs> like you you got out, but it's in there. Well, like, I, yeah, you can't you're, you, like, well, you can't. You're like a Tootsie Roll pop. And <laughs> if you lick you enough, you're going to get to the 
Alabama center. Well, you can't you can't run from your blood. I mean, you can't really change. You can't change where you come from. But right. The way you're saying that, though, I mean, but, I but believe me. As soon as I said, if you lick you enough, you're going to get to the Alabama center. I really didn't want to say that, and I would like to say, I would like that stricken from the record. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do with this guaranteed 24 hour boner I have now after that image <laughs> of myself. <laughs> can you say boner in 2018? Is that still allowed? Or you can say it. Okay. Well, good. I won't have that I'm, stricken from the record then. I don't like anything that makes me imagine male genitalia. <laughs> so, like, as soon as you say boner, I, it's not the word. It's just the mind video that I mean. Immediately, I think of you with a heart on. I'm like, ah, I don't want that in my brain. Well, fucking, you're welcome. And now, <laughs> well, now, now I'm mad at myself for bringing it up again. Well, just, if no, my wife won't like, imagine me with... A boner. I need someone too. So it's it's up. You got the job. Oh, by the way. So I wanted to say something about your wife. This was actually a few pod- podcasts ago. You were saying that you understand women, but the longer you're married to your wife, the less you understand her. Yes. And I feel yes. a little kind of the same way about my wife. But I th- I really think that kind of is a. Um, I think that's sort of a representation of how smart both our wives are mm-hmm. in a way they, and I don't even, I don't think it's a conscious decision either of them make, but they know that for you and me, and I, again, I'm including you, but I'll just talk about me. I, I know my wife knows to sort of keep me interested in the relationship. She sort of has to uh, have me believe that I don't, that I have to sort of be a little off balance in the relationship. Like I'm, I can't be completely 100% sure that she's into the relationship or into me. And she does it in a way that is kind of mesmerizing and has kept me in the relationship for this long. And if I knew a hundred percent that she was really into me and she was here for the long haul, I would almost immediately, I, I think it would lessen my uh, attraction to her. Uh, in a way that is is a bummer, but it's just the way I am. Yeah, I'm but, kind of fucked up, right. and I'm attracted to kind of fucked up. But see, we're we're different in that way because me knowing that my that I was my wife's shit, like I'm her dude, is like would be a dream come true for me. It's it's probably my greatest longing is to, and and it's not even really her fault. I have it's boring, it's not unique, but I have trauma from past relationships that pretty much have crippled my ability to feel secure in a relationship. And so I've just, for the last 10 years, put all that on her, and that does its own marring of the relationship. And uh, part of it's kind of her, and part, and a lot of it's just baggage I'm bringing to the table. But I, I would love to know, you know, I, I worry often that, you know, I'm always checking in, everything cool, we okay, anything you need, what can I do? But it's part of, I think part of the reason that that doesn't work so well with her is because it doesn't come from the strength I want it to. It kind of comes from fear and weakness. And as we all know, ladies don't like fear and weakness. They like Russell Brand. Well, everybody, men and women, like things that 
like if you if you see Russell Brand and you don't know who he is and you're not in you're not married to him, you don't have a kid with him, you don't live with him, you don't smell his farts, you don't smell his stinky pits, you can imagine that he's like the perfect person. Right, it's the idea in, of him. Right, it's this fantasy idea, and everybody loves these made-up fantasies about people. Uh, and when you're in a relationship with somebody and you live with them and they're real, you, it do, it doesn't allow for any of that. Like it, it all of that gets gets moved out by the real furniture of the relationship, and so it, it's what makes relationships so difficult. But I will say this: I mean, I know your wife, and uh, and and I, she's stuck with you and and i know that i i know a little bit about your relationship but i really do feel like that you are her uh guy right and and i think part of what she does is kind of what i'm talking about like keeps you off balance in terms of like that like you just said like i would love nothing more than for her to but i don't i don't know i i can't talk for you i i have a feeling just because I know you that if she really started acting like that all the time, that you'd be like, you'd get content or, or right. complacent in the relationship in a way that you're not. Yeah, it's now. a weird, it's a weird psychological thing that I think is in a lot of relationships and not even romantic ones like professional relationships and otherwise, where you start to get what you want and you, you it pushes you away a little bit. You you retreat from right. that. And then when you're yeah. not getting it, you're chasing it, and it's this whole dance, you know. I mean, the right. the nicest thing you can say about it is it's dance. The shittiest thing you can say about it is it's a fucking game or it's a mind fuck. But it is kind of that that push and pull which kind of keeps it kinetic, you know, keeps it interesting. Absolutely, especially throwing like, a kid in there too. I mean, the kid. I know it's you know we have daughters that are the same age. That's put this whole new element into this dance my wife and I've been doing for a decade. You know, it's well, cool. It changes. It's cool. It changes all the positions in the right. relationship. I mean, because before the kid, it's like you're number one, and then music's maybe number two, and then something else is number three, and then maybe your wife is number four, and blah, 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 and it goes down. And then when the kid comes, kid's number one. Absolutely. Immediately. Absolutely. And, and, and we'll always stay that way. And then if you got more than one kid, then you got one places, one and two, and fill, in, fill those places in with kids. And then... Then it's you or your career or your relationship, you know, so it just and it's it's hard for people to like be moved around like that uh, in in somebody else's eyes. And and but nobody ever talks about it. Yeah, it's not taught in school. There's no class in high school like how to be in a healthy relationship. It's ridiculous how little uh, information or education there is about having healthy uh, intimate relationships with other human beings. It's just something that's not addressed in our society for whatever reason. And I know it's like, oh, that's what you're supposed to teach at home. But no, we've been getting information. No, it's a society issue, I think, for sure. Absolutely, for sure. Well, we've been doing couples therapy for a long time, and, and we do it even when we're in a good season. Like, we do it um, t- to get tools, you know, like – it's been such a helpful thing. And there's even today, there's still a taboo. If you tell someone we're in couples counseling, they're like, Ooh, is everything okay? And there are some people who go to couples counseling when they need an emergency, an emergency room type type visit. But the taboo of like, no, yeah, like it's the same reason you go to a fucking TM. You, you go learn how to meditate or you go to yoga or you go to your doctor or you, it's just maintenance, emotional maintenance. 
that right, you're it's right. It's, it's 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 probably a large reason why a lot of families get broken up because we don't have the tools for that shit. Right. And well, it's like going to a gym. Right. Like right. Uh, when people first go to a gym, they're usually out of shape. Uh, and then if they stick with it and they get in shape and then they're going to the gym when they're in shape, people are like, why are you going to the gym? You're in shape. But nobody ever asked that because they're like, oh, you, the reason you are in shape is because you're going to the gym. The reason your relationship's working is because you're continuing to manage it by by doing this healthy, constructive thing, uh, couples therapy. Right. Look at us, Having man. said that, I, I, need, <laughs> I need to start going to couples therapy <laughs> like to, this morning. Right. Well, sometimes, uh, sometimes being in that place is good too. You you throw your hands up and you say, "I can't. I no longer feel like I can control this. We need help." And that's that's a good spot. I think it's great to have a referee because I know for me, with me and my wife, she's so stubborn. I'm so we're both very strong willed people, and I wouldn't have it any other way. So you need a referee that that can stand in there and go, "Okay, you talk. Okay, you talk." Uh, Hey, you're being unfair. You're being unreasonable. Because if I tell my wife she's being unreasonable, oh, oh bye bye, God. bye bye, penis. <laughs> well, it's game over. It's immediate and, castration. And the same thing with her. If she tells me I'm being unreasonable, I'm never unreasonable. By the way, right in my mind, right. So then I get defensive. So you know how it works. I do. Hey, uh, can we talk about something that we like? Yeah, tell, I've got. What do you like? I've got something. Okay, good. So I. I started watching my brilliant friend. Have you seen this no. series on HBO? Nope. It's a series set in like 1950s Italy, and it's two young girls and their sort of lifelong friendship. That they have. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like three. I'm like three episodes in. Jesus. Oh my god, it's so good. Okay. And guess, guess, uh, guess who wasn't into the hashtag Me Too shit? 19, Italy. 1950s Italy. Italy in the 50s. Oh, my God. What a bunch of fucking dicks. <laughs> these guys, the the men that these women have to deal with their entire lives, their fathers, their boyfriends, everybody in the community, they're such fucking dicks. Is, and then these girls, and you have a daughter. I have a daughter. They're so sweet and vulnerable, and they've got to fucking traverse this fucking talk about toxic masculinity fucking uh it's just horrible well is it meant to be historically accurate i mean is it is that what it is it feels real i mean it feels absolutely uh like a like a documentary that's what it looks like what's it called Uh, it's called my brilliant friend okay so good i like that hbo hbo is pretty solid on the programming i like that show crashing that pete holmes show I haven't seen it. It's pretty. Uh, I don't like him very much. I don't like his podcast very much, but that show is really good. It's about it's about time. comedians. It's like the whole culture of comedians. You would love it. I, I I've met him and he's a super nice guy. I the, I had a hard time with this podcast because of his laughter. Like, oh, I agree. Don't don't laugh. <laughs> he laughs it's a really, lot. It's, yeah, it's really off putting. Well, check out what I would say. This the episodes are only like twenty minutes long. Watch two episodes of Crashing. And I, th- right. I think you'll be in. It's it's real. Ch- it's charming, but it's also pretty gritty. It's all about the world of comedy. He's a struggling comedian. His wife leaves him. It's cool. HBO is pretty and, solid. Oh, can I talk about something I don't like please. at all? Honey, please. <laughs> <laughs> or they? Uh, 
Uh, I just saw the new fucking Mary Poppins movie. Oh my god, it looked horrible. I can't believe you saw it. It is fucking horrible. And here's the problem. Here's really the main problem. Is I've been watching the classic original with my daughter. She's seen it, I would say, 30 to 50 times in the last, and not all of it, but long stretches of it. 30 or 50 times in the last month. Kids have an uncanny ability to watch the same shit over and over and over. Uh, they love it's it. Amazing. They love the, they love, well, it's, I think it's, it's I the think comforting. It's really, well, it's like all human beings. Like I like the stuff that I'm familiar with. Uh, granted, I want it to be slightly different, but I want it, I know what I like and I want that more and more of it. And with kids, they don't know shit. Like the, everything with kids is new. So the idea that they're going to, that they're going to, be able to watch something that they know what's coming that's familiar is has got to be really comforting yeah, for a kid. Yeah, I agree. So she's watched it a bunch. So I've seen it and it's fantastic. The music is great. Julie Andrews is amazing. Dick Van Dyke is amazing. Those kids are perfect. Like everything about that movie, just the way it looks, the colors are crazy. Uh, all, all of it's Yeah, it's kind of psychedelic uh, amazing. in a way. And the new one... Uh, uh, I can't. I don't even know where to start. Let's start with Lin Lin Wan. What's his name? Lin Wan. Who? Miranda. The new the Lin. new Mary Poppins director. Yeah, yeah. So the new chimney sweep guy is the guy from and it's that wrote and it's Hamilton. Emily Blunt, right? Or Emily, Emily Blunt. Blunt. Yeah, Emily Blunt, who I love, is Mary Poppins, and she's okay as Mary Poppins. Like she does a fine job. Uh, but she's no Julie Andrews. Like you're not gonna, the Amy Adams is better in Enchanted than uh, Emily Blunt is at playing. Like, just don't fuck with it. <laughs> but the the real the real uh, guy that sucks is that Lynn Lynn. What is his name? I don't Lynn know. Juan Marianda. Whatever. You can really I mean, tell that we're dads of little girls because we're like getting heated about Amy Adams. Fucking killer in Enchanted. Well, he's he's just not he's not a good actor. And the the thing you realize, and he's he's not, he's an okay actor, and I guarantee you, he's a thousand times better than I would ever be uh, as an actor. But once you get used to great acting in movies, and you see somebody that's just okay, it's tough, right? Yeah, and he, I agree. And, and he's just not great. He's he, he's probably great on stage, and he's probably great in Hamilton, uh, but he's not great in this. Probably great. The in the songs s- are prob- bad. Probably great in the sack. And uh, they just do some stuff that I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. It's so bad. <laughs> F F plus for that movie. F plus, huh? Well, it gets a plus. That's good. I'm giving it a plus because Emily Blunt is heist. Well, that is pretty much all the time we have today for this very special Mary Poppins <laughs> Christmas edition of I'm okay, oh. you're okay, I'm not okay, you're not okay. I'm Bob Schneider. I'm Clint Wells. Anyways, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, join us again. Uh, are we? I guess we'll be here New Year's, maybe. Uh, hopefully, if not New Year's, we'll be here uh, the very beginning of 2019. You can send us uh, an email, then. bobandclint at gmail.com. We'll read it on the show. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. Bob has a wonderful podcast called The Song Club, where he plays songs from the song game and talks about how he wrote them. I have a podcast all about Metallica called Metal Up Your Podcast. You can find those anywhere you listen to the podcast. And... Are we splitting? We getting out of here? 
We're getting out of here. Uh, Merry Christmas. Merry and Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.